Hi, everybody. I'm Caitlin Baggett Davis, President-Elect for City Club of Portland, and it is my pleasure to warmly welcome you to today's program. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge that the land we are on is native land and was stolen from people who lived here for thousands of years. Together, we recognize their unbreakable connections to this land, and we honor the resilience of their ancestors and the hope of future generations. Today, City Club is hosting a debate between three of the candidates running for Portland City Council position three. As we get started, I wanna thank the producer of today's debate, Leslie Johnson, and our ongoing American Sign Language interpreters, CM Hall and Andrew Tolman. I also wanna thank the entire volunteer events committee for working so hard to make this event and the whole debate series possible. Volunteers really make City Club run. With this debate cycle, City Club sustains a tradition of more than 100 years of candidate debates. While much has changed over that time, City Club continues to be an independent, nonpartisan organization committed to providing a space for people to gather and participate in lively conversations about the critical issues confronting our region. Since our founding, City Club has been a champion for this kind of civic engagement, creativity over partisanship and the common good over narrow self-interest, while hosting space for new voices to be heard. We are building and stewarding an open and inclusive public square where all Oregonians are welcome for the exchange of ideas, discussion, and debate about the issues that matter most in our communities and at the ballot box. Please make a note that our next event will be the State of the County message from Multnomah County Chair Deborah Kafori on Wednesday, April 13th at, note, uh, at noon, not note. Uh, this is a historic event for Chair Kafori, giving her last statement from this particular elected position. To mark the occasion, she'll be joined by former Governor Barbara Roberts for a wide ranging conversation. You can sign up on the City Club website or watch for more email reminders. City Club has been sustained over all these years through the generous support of our members, individual donors, foundations, nonprofits, and businesses, large and small. Today, we're so grateful for the collective support from all of our members and donors. I would also very much like to thank our partners at X-Ray FM for sharing this program with those who will be listening on the radio and podcast later on. If City Club's work aligns with your values, I hope that you'll support us as we continue to produce forums and debates, lead public policy research, and advocate for positive change. Here are two ways that you can support the work of City Club today. You can start by becoming a City Club member for more than 100 years, our members and supporters have helped City Club hold Oregon's leaders accountable. You can learn more about membership online at pdxcityclub.org membership. You can also support City Club's work by making a donation today. Our events, which are free to all, are made possible by individual donors like you. Please consider making a gift to help us continue to provide thought-provoking debates and conversations. You can donate now by texting Democracy PDX to 44321. That is Democracy PDX, all one word, to 44321. Or you can give via our website, 
pdxcityclub.org slash donate. Whether you become a member, make a gift, share the link with a friend, or just watch today's debate, all of us at City Club, thank you for participating and helping to bring the public square live to your homes. It is now my pleasure to welcome Shabri Vickers, monitor, moderator for today's debate. I am tongue-tied today. Shabri, it's so great to have you here. Shabri is the Vice President of Public Affairs and Employee Initiatives Leader for Wells Fargo and Company and leads the company's Public Affairs Employee Engagement Initiatives. Shabri's recent and ongoing community volunteering efforts include the Board of City Club of Portland, Chair of the City of Portland Human Rights Commission, board member for the Oregon Symphony, the Native American Youth and Family Center, and the Literary Arts Organization, and the executive committee member of the Portland African American Leadership Forum. So busy. Last year, she was recognized as a 2021 Woman of Influence by the Portland Business Journal and a hometown hero by Portland Trailblazers and Directors Mortgage. Shabri, welcome and thank you so much for moderating today's conversation. Wow, thank you so much, Caitlin. I am so honored to be with everyone here today. We have a fantastic group of folks in Portlanders who are joining us, um, and it should be a great uh, conversation and debate. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Thanks. So I'll leave it to you. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you. And to everyone, welcome to City Club's candidate debate for Portland City Council position number three, featuring candidates Joanne Hardesty, the incumbent, and Renee Gonzalez and Vadim Mozerski. I am going to start by providing some background on the role of the Portland City Council. And some of you will recognize this information from Tuesday's debate taken from the 2019 City Club Research Report, New Government for Today's Portland, Rethinking 100 Years of the Commission System. All city governments are organized to exercise power under four main categories. Number one, executive authority, implementing city ordinances and policy and managing the city's personnel and resources. Number two, administrative authority, the more day-to-day -day or street-level functioning of city, city government. Number three, legislative authority, the power to approve municipal budgets, pass city laws or ordinances, and create policies. And finally, number four, quasi-judicial authority, mostly limited to land use and similar specialized and highly local appeals and decision-making by hearings. Our city has a version of the commission form of government unique for its size with a mayor and four commissioners, all of whom are elected citywide in nonpartisan at-large elections. The members of the city council jointly exercise all types of authority, largely by majority rule and all five members serve as executive heads of city bureaus. The mayor has the unique power to appoint and remove commissioners from assigned bureaus and departments, but otherwise only has one vote of the five on the city council, which is why it is frequently called a weak mayor system. All of the commissioners, including the mayor, have broad authority to run their departments and bureaus. They can hire and fire top management, they may or may not engage a professional top manager or administrator. The mayor and two commissioners run for election every four years. Two years later, the other two commissioners and the city auditor run. Since this system was implemented in 1913, the city's population has tripled in size. To say nothing of the changes in diversity 
of the population and of the range of business, social and cultural activities. As many of you know, the Charter Review Commission recently settled on a set of recommendations for reforming Portland's form of government to expand city council, to allocate membership to specific districts and to centralize management of the day-to-day -day operations in the mayor and a professional city administrator. If you are interested in more specifics on potential reforms, go to portlandoregon.gov slash OMF slash charter dash review dash commission. Okay, we have a little under 90 minutes for this debate and I will outline the ground rules briefly and then we'll begin. Each candidate will have two minutes for an opening statement. And once the statements have concluded, we'll move on to my questions for the candidates, which do include a lightning round. So I'm looking forward to getting to that. I know we started a bit late, but, but we should hopefully get there. It should be fun. Once the moderated questions have concluded, the candidates will each be allowed a question of one of their opponents. From there, we'll move on to the audience questions. City Club has solicited questions in advance from members and the community, and all viewers who registered on the City Club link were given the opportunity to ask a question. I will choose from these questions. We are allowing each candidate a single free speech pass, and if a candidate would like to rebut a point made by an opponent, extend their own answer time, or clarify a response, the candidate simply needs to raise his or her hand and each candidate has one pass, which is worth 30 seconds. Finally, we'll close the debate with a two minute statement from each candidate. Now my intention is to distribute questions and time equally. However, as a moderator, I do reserve the right to ask for clarification should it be appropriate and helpful to the discussion. And so now we will begin with opening statements and we are going to go first with Mr. Uh, Vadim Mozerski, next with Renee Gonzalez, and finally with, with Commissioner Joanne Hardesty. And I am going to go ahead and ask Vadim to begin. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Fabri. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you, City Club. And thank everybody who's watching online. I see we have over 260 people here and that's wonderful. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor speaking with you. I'm running for Portland City Council to revitalize Portland through bold vision, accountability, inclusiveness, and I think very importantly right now, pragmatic rather than dogmatic solutions to our problems. My family and I moved to the United States as refugees from the former Soviet Union, from the Ukraine. I myself was born in Kiev. We came here with few belongings, little money, but we had a hope for the American dream. Uh, life was difficult for a while. My father took odd jobs. My mother went back to community college in order to become a nurse. I started school right away without even speaking English. And we persevered. When I uh, graduated from a public university and a public law school as an attorney, and then later became an administrative law judge, it was that culmination of the American dream. But too often nowadays, that American dream is failing Portlanders. And it's not the fault of Portlanders. It's because our government has been dysfunctional for too long and it's failing us. Portlanders really want simple things from our government. We want the trash and the graffiti to be picked up. We want good schools for our kids so that they can grow up and prosper. We want safe streets so we can walk around and play without fear of violence. And if tragedy befalls us, we wanna be able to call 911 and get a quick response. In return, we pay our taxes, we work, we do our civic duty. 
The people of Portland are doing their part. Unfortunately, our government is not. And so we can change that. Being an immigrant, I came from a country where the people work for the government. And I came to a country where the government works for the people. And so it is my goal to revitalize and have people have participation in their government here in Portland so that our government listens. And I'm very confident in talking with hundreds of people throughout Portland, maybe even thousands at this point in time that we can get that done. People are tired of the divisiveness and the dysfunction and they're coming together. There's lots of plans out there, people working on solutions to homelessness, to crime in their neighborhoods, but they wanna see a unified plan. They want their government to help them. Thank you, Vadim. Next, we will go to Renee Gonzalez. Renee? Thank you. My name is Renee Gonzalez and I'm running to restore Portland's promise. I'm a small business owner with a history of leadership and financial stewardship in the for-profit and nonprofit spaces. As parents of three, my wife and I became increasingly alarmed by the damages done to our youth from closed schools and activities during the pandemic. I didn't sit on the sideline. I led the statewide efforts to organize parents and help safely reopen schools so our kids could get the education, the life they deserve. I don't believe in politics as usual in a time of crisis. I'm not running to get a job. I already have one. I'm running because Portland is facing an historic threat to its livability caused by out of control homelessness and skyrocketing crime. Here's my plan to confront our two biggest challenges. With respect to homelessness, first and foremost, we need to establish an acute detox center for our most ill addicts. More generally, we need to massively accelerate building of shelter and safe sleeping options for our unsheltered. This will allow us to conjugate services for our unsheltered and provide more humane living conditions. It will also allow us to enforce existing laws on unsanctioned camping and RV parking to restore our public spaces. With respect to crime, we need to assure adequate funding for our police department, including specialists in gang violence and community policing. We need to continuously assure rigorous community oversight of police, but we must end what some have called the defund police culture that makes it so difficult to recruit and retain quality officers. But beyond these two big challenges, I can continue to hear on the campaign trail that the city has lost its sense of self, its identity. We used to be a city that worked. Thank you. Let's make that time for that visioning. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Renee. And next, we will go to Commissioner Joanne Hardesty. Commissioner Hardesty. Thank you very much, City Club. Thank you uh, very much, Shivri Vickers, for facilitating this conversation. I am very grateful to be here today. One of my biggest honors in life has been to serve as your Portland City Commissioner, Position 3. Um, I ran for this position because me, like many other working people, believe that collectively we could do better for the people in the city of Portland. I will say that I believe all Portlanders deserve to feel safe on our streets, have homes they can afford to live in, and have the, the opportunity to prosper in our city. But 
However, Portland is not. I'm sorry, I hear another voice. I think Renee unmuted. We're going to keep Renee muted. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so anyway, um, uh, I continue to stay focused on my priorities and my priorities are public safety remains the number one priority. That's why I created Portland Street Response to create a non-law enforcement response to people suffering on our street. The very first change to our 911 call system in 150 years. I wanna make sure that Portlanders can continue to live with dignity, whether they're housed or unhoused. And I've actually helped create the very first RV and car park so that people can safely uh, live in their cars and RVs. In addition to that, uh, I continue to work on our housing crisis with Commissioner Dan Ryan. And what I know is we have to do something big and bold because today the median family income is 96,900. And most people who work and worship and play in the city of Portland are priced out of housing in this community. I look forward to answering more of your questions and getting into this debate in more detail. Thanks again for the invitation. I look forward to the conversation. Thank you so much, Commissioner Hardesty. And thank you to the over almost 270, uh, uh, over 270 Portlanders who joined us, joined us today. I will let you know as um, we give time announcements to our candidates, if they go over time, uh, we reserve the right to go ahead and mute just to go ahead and, and continue to move forward. So we're gonna begin with the first question and I'll rotate through every question as, as much as I can. We'll start with Renee, we'll go to Vadim next, and then we'll go to Joanne. Our first question to Renee, let's begin with the city's relationship to the environment and climate change. Environmental organizations have long lauded individual efforts at reducing footprint, but more and more they are emphasizing the need for voters to focus on choosing leaders with strong environmental values in order to get broader change in shorter timeframes. In your view, what should the city's priorities be to reduce energy use and emissions and why? Thanks so much for the question. First and foremost, we need to reestablish Portland as a friendly city to bicyclists, to walkers, to lessen our dependency on automobiles. And so really practical, simple solution to that, we need to clean up our sidewalks, our parks, the, pu the public areas that have been used by bikers and walkers uh, for, for a generation. So that's uh, a good start. I think we also have an opportunity to be a leader in EV adoption uh, in the city of Portland. Our close proximity to very, very cost-effective wholesale energy prices gives us a real opportunity there. Um, one other piece, I think we can take some really rapid steps to build up our tree canopy. Uh, you have to plant today to benefit from that a decade from now, 20 years from now. And we've taken steps backwards in Portland in recent years there, and we need to commit to that going forward. I think that will, uh, it cools our city, it helps protect our most disadvantaged neighborhoods, and I think we need to double down on that going forward. Thank you. Thank you so much, Renee. Vadim, you were next. 
Thank you. So part of this is as we revitalize Portland, we need to increase initiatives for small businesses that are green, bring the green jobs here and make sure that people are paid well so they can afford to live here. We need to electrify our uh, public uh, uh, bus service and our vehicles that we have in the city. Uh, right now we have too many vehicles that are driving around burning gas and we need to make sure that they're electric. Uh, and then we need to use the stimulus money coming here from the federal government in order to um, update our infrastructure. We need to make sure that our buildings and our schools are updated so that they do not uh, put out uh, uh, gases that are harmful to our environment. Uh, I think most people don't realize that it's just not cars that are causing some of the pollution. It's also the buildings themselves. And now we're going to have a lot of money coming in to help that. And then uh, recently, probably a lot of people heard that um, our climate uh, the PCEF fund, which uh, uh, is uh, giving out grants and contracts for people, small businesses, uh, minority businesses, in order to make Portland more green, discovered that they had two to three times more money than uh, they thought they would. We need to align that fund with our 20 and 30 and 20 and 50 climate action goals, which we're not meeting, and make sure that we have accountability and that we get a good value for the money that we're giving out. And then lastly, yes, more biking. Make sure those bike lanes are protected so people feel safe, whether they're biking around during the daytime or the night. Uh, people come here for biking and they stay here for that. Thank you. Thank you, Vadim. Commissioner Hardesty. Thank you so much for that question. As you know, uh, we do have a climate action plan that requires us to reduce carbon emissions by 40% by 2050. Um, as the commissioner in charge of PBOT, I have actually used uh, that guide as my path forward, uh, creating a healthy business program that really helps save small businesses during COVID, uh, creating opportunities for small businesses to use public right away spaces. We've also highlighted over 600 uh, uh, crosswalks so that uh, community members can travel more easily uh, through the city of Portland. I was really surprised to learn people could park all the way up to the curb, uh, which actually provided no visibility. Vehicle violence and death by vehicle violence is only second to gun violence in the city of Portland, but we have not given it the same type of uh, focus as we have uh, around gun violence. I, uh, and so I've had my colleague, worked with my uh, colleagues to invest over $400,000 in the last budget process. And we're asking for more resources to start putting those safety improvements in place, like the speed cameras uh, that we just put, got a new one in on 122nd Avenue and Southeast Star. Um, I'm using those that I have to actually address both climate, safety, and transportation equity issues. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joanne. Next, Thank we're you. going to go to housing. So we know that one of the reasons there are people camping out and not in homes is the shortage of available affordable housing. And in terms of changing the supply of permanent housing, what do you think the city should be focused on and what is best left to the marketplace and community-based organizations? We're gonna answer these questions first. We'll go to Joanne then Vadim and Renee next. Commissioner Hardesty. Um, thank you. Um, I, 
I'm sorry, I was connected to the mute button. Would you repeat the question again, please? Absolutely. For housing, we know that one of the reasons there are people camping out and not in homes is the shortage of available affordable housing. In terms of changing the supply of housing, what do you think the city should be focused on and what is best left to the marketplace and community-based organizations? I think that is a great question. We should be focused right now on land banking, all available billable land that the city currently owns. We should be restricting that land to development at 60% of median family income, both commercially and residentially. We're becoming a city where small businesses are being priced out. Um, as I said earlier, with the median family income being $96,900, most working people don't have five to $7,000 to move into an apartment. We are doing a good job at the very low end with extremely uh, low income individuals. But working people have no advocate other than myself at City Hall to be advocating for how do people who clean hotels, how do people who work in restaurants and our music industries, how can they afford to prosper in the city of Portland when the cost of living and the uh, 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 income inequality is actually making even renting a basic unit unaffordable? When developers tell us they're building uh, how, uh, affordable housing at 80% of MFI, what they're telling us is you need over $70,000 to qualify for that studio or one bedroom. I think we should let the developers do the private market and the city should be focused on making sure that workers uh, and low-income people are able to thrive and prosper within the city of Portland. Thank you, Joanne. Next, we'll go to Vadim. Vadim? Thank you. So what, what I'm not hearing is actually getting everybody involved in this process. Uh, we're at a point where in about five years, we will have another housing crisis because we don't have enough in the pipeline. We need to bring to the table developers, housing advocates, home builders, and see what we can do to iron this out. We need to ensure that we build more development around uh, max stops and high traffic areas so people will not have to drive to work so when we build out, we build out in a green way and not contribute to further greenhouse gases. And then we need to understand and reevaluate our uh, tax system and incentives and make sure that we can not only have people from around the country come in with a lot of money and build the big construction, which we're seeing, but that smaller individuals that have duplexes, triplexes, or mid-house, uh, mid-sized family developments can actually uh, afford to function and, and bring people in and charge less money. Because what we're doing right now is increasing the cost of doing business. And therefore it increases uh, the amount of people have to pay for rent. So we need to like reevaluate that and make sure that we're making it affordable. And then lastly, not only do we need to build more, we need to make sure that we have more jobs that pay a living wage. And so that's why I'm working with the unions uh, in order to make sure that we bring good jobs to Portland where people can afford to live here. So once again, it's bringing everyone to the table that's involved, listening, having roundtable discussions and planning, which is not what I'm seeing very much right now with our city. Thank you. Thank you, Vadim. Renee? Thanks so much for the question. It, it, really a crucial topic given our declining affordability and current projections on housing stock on, in the medium term. First and foremost, in terms of what government can do, what specifically the city of Portland can do is add predictability 
and speed up the permitting process. Too many developers go through the process that is extended, that takes uh, months longer than adjacent counties. Further, midway through the process, they're uh, interrupted with new requirements, new subjective judgments on the way things should be built. And third, there's zero integration at the city among the various uh, bureaus that touch development. This is really problematic and it is directly tied to the city's role in driving affordability. Second, we need to look at the relative mix of uh, sticks and carrots, specifically around inclusionary zoning. While well-intentioned, it has led to less permits being pulled for multifamily. The overly rigorous mandates are actually leading to less market development of housing which is in turn driving up the cost is in turn leading to less affordability. Third, we have to stop driving away small landlords. The city has been downright punitive in the last decade with respect to landlords and some of the tenant protections they've adopted. And that is driving the small ones out of the market, they're exiting the space and that's hurting our supply. Thank you. Thank you so much, Renee. And thank you to the other candidates for your answers. Our next question is on police and public safety. The Portland Police Bureau has dealt with a host of negative coverage relating to its handling of the 2020 protests. Its role in dealing with homelessness, the increase in neighborhood crime, and its lack of response, on up to the very recent city auditor's report on collecting sensitive personal data. Going forward from today, of all of the issues what would you say should be the Portland Police Bureau's immediate priorities? To answer, we're first going to go with Vadim, then Renee, and finally, Joanne. Vadim? Thank you. So we need to reform and rebuild the police. You have to heed the calls of individuals out there that are concerned about their safety and the safety of their families. During the November budget session, uh, we had over 200 people testify, giving personal stories about the tragedies that they're seeing in their neighborhoods. Uh, one woman said her nine-year-old child had to walk to school with pepper spray because they were so concerned about the violence. So we need to rebuild, but we also need to reform. Um, I have served on the Citizen Review Committee that hears complaints against the Police Bureau. I have served on the Portland Committee on Community Engaged Policing that does the engagement between the community and police. And so I've heard from a lot of people over the years about what kind of reform that they want. And I think the ballot measure that was passed about 16 months ago to have a new police oversight bureau is well needed. Uh, working on the CRC, uh, we know that uh, the community needs to have more authority in order to uh, discipline the police and make sure that their policies are followed correctly. Um, but it's been 15 months since the ballot measures passed. We were promised 18 months and a new board would be up overseeing the police. And we're still two to three years away. Once again, our city is failing us in, in policy development and making sure that we come through with good oversight. We need to quicken that. And we need to make sure that there's an element there that reviews the training so that our police are well-trained. And lastly, let's increase the culture and make it better. Promote people that are working in their community and know the community well. Thank you. Thank you, Vadim. And next we'll go to Renee. At a time of record crime, record homicides, record vehicular deaths, we need police focused on law enforcement, first and foremost. And to do that, we need to build up our specialists and our recruiting department 
uh, PP, uh, the Portland Police, which was devastated in recent budget cuts, our gang reduction teams, our gun reduction, our gun violence teams, all crucial specialists in, our, in driving forward in, in decreasing crime and building our police force back up. We also need our police force to partner in accountability and community oversight. And it's interesting in talking to police officers in the city of Portland, they actually welcome accountability. The, the challenge is that they believe they're the only ones being asked for it, that the same is not being asked of our elected officials. So that needs to go two ways, but we absolutely need partnership from Portland police in building accountability. Third, we need some small wins. And again, this comes from our, our police officers. We need to pick some targets of areas where we are having high vehicular deaths, high homicide rates and get some wins. And that could be small, but we gotta build off of it because right now we have a highly demoralized police force. We were looking at record retirements come this summer and we need to find some small wins, build some momentum. Thank you. Thank you, Renee. Joanne? I think the most vital thing we can do right now is to hire the civilian training dean as the Department of Justice is requiring us to do. The civilian training dean will partner with community members to actually make sure that we're training community police officers in a way that the community wants to be policed. Um, one of the things that's actually gonna help us rebuild trust is the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission that my office has been working on for the last year. Uh, the RFP, the request for proposal will go out later this month. Uh, I'm sorry, next month, uh, we're now seeking input both from the police, from former police officers and community members to make sure that we are addressing all the needs in that request for proposal. Uh, the project that I did with uh, Mount Scott Arlita neighborhood was a good example of showing how a multitude of city bureaus could work cooperatively on a community safety issue. Um, and the results are promising uh, that gun violence has been reduced by over 50% by really listening to community and working cooperatively with community. Um, there are many examples of that in my administration. I am proud to say the Rethink Police Oversight Board is now in their third month of meeting and they have 18 months to complete their work. What I love is all these efforts will come together simultaneously and the police should hire the 100 positions that are already open. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Hardesty. Vadim, I see you've raised your hand, and so I assume that you are wanting to use your one free speech pass for 30 seconds. Okay, go ahead. And so I actually worked on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission um, while on, on PSEP, on the Community Engagement Board, and now it's been about a year and still not implemented. So we need to do better. Likewise, we need to be ahead. So the Department of Justice is not requiring body cameras so that they're not requiring a dean of training. Our city needs to be out there making sure that these things are done before we have outside entities telling us that we're not doing enough to keep Portlanders safe and to keep our police accountable. Thank you. Thank you, Vadim. Commissioner Hardesty, would you like to use your uh, free speech pass right now? No, okay. Well, we're gonna go to the next question and I'm actually gonna keep us on public safety. Um, and so I'm gonna read that question and then I'll go ahead and tell you how we'll, who will answer first. 
So again, to remain on public safety, moves are already being made to consolidate some of the city's public safety functions and finances from our four different bureaus under what would be known as the Community Safety Division, or CSD. The CSD has already requested significant funding just to accomplish steps towards the transition. Is this the right move for improving operation of the Police Bureau, Portland Fire and Rescue, and the Bureau of Emergency Communications, and the Bureau of Emergency Management? Or is it adding an extra bureaucratic layer, and why? I'd like Renee to answer this first. Next, we'll go to Joanne, and then finally, Vadim. Renee? Thanks for the question. So certainly there is a concern that we're adding another layer of bureaucracy and expense in uh, government with this move. Uh, so I'm concerned about that. By the same token, it may be driving us towards more professional management at the high end. And so um, looking more broadly, listening to voters, uh, significant concern about our existing form of government, the commission model where we have elected non-experts overseeing bureaus. Uh, I, I look at this move as maybe a halfway step as we go through charter reform and fully evaluate what the what structurally we should be doing over the long haul from Portland government. And consolidating the bureaus is it, potentially you're professionalizing the oversight. So it could be positive, but yes, I, there are some concerns about adding bureaucracy and expense to government. Thanks. Thank you, Renee. Joanne, you're next. When I arrived in January of 2019, I had the privilege of having all the first responder bureaus in my portfolio with the exception of police. Mayor Wheeler and I partnered and figured that if we could actually consolidate administrative function of the first responder bureaus, then we could save resources and the bureaus could actually do the very critical work that they needed to do. Um, since Mike Myers has been hired, his job uh, uh, description has expanded significantly. Um, and I continue to be concerned when I meet with him monthly that he has a lot on his plate. The idea is still a good one. We don't need four different bureaus uh, that are doing payroll, personnel, uh, investigations, et cetera, et cetera. It is much more efficient to have all those bureaus working cooperatively together. Um, and we've come a long way. We started this process in 2019, and we're now in a process where we're actually starting to move bodies from one bureau to another. As someone who's worked with 12 police chiefs and six police commissioners over my time in the city of Portland, I can tell you this is a long overdue step towards actually streamlining operations and actually having more impact with the limited public dollars that we have. Thank you, Commissioner Hardesty. Vadim? As a member of the Charter Commission, initially we met with all the bureau directors, including the police chief and the fire chief. And what was surprising during those conversations was that the police chief said it was easier for them to buy their own ladders rather than to get a ladder from the fire bureau because of all the bureaucracy they have to get through in order to get to make that happen. And so we need to eliminate that bureaucracy by having a coordination amongst the bureaus, especially the emergency bureaus. Down the road, I think we need a city manager form of government where uh, there's an individual that coordinates amongst all the bureaus in order to eliminate 
uh, uh, overlapping services and money being misspent. But this is a good start. I've met with Mike Myers. I've heard his presentation on these issues. And I think he's a good leader going forward for those on City Club that don't know Mike Myers. He used to be the fire chief here in Portland. And I firmly believe that he'll usher us forward into a better future with coordination so that um, our agencies and bureaus are working together better. And that's very key because we need to work better together. Uh, right now we have the siloing effect and that's been going on for years. Um, and, and luckily in this instance, we're working on it to uh, alleviate some of those effects, but we need to do better across all bureaus, not just the emergency service bureaus. So a little more money spent now is gonna save a lot of money down the road. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vadim. I'm going to move us into the next question and it's in regards to the charter review. The Charter Reviews Commission recent recommendations on charter reform include proposals for stronger central management of the city by the mayor and a professional administrator, and for a city council with multiple representatives from a small number of districts selected by ranked choice voting. What do you see as the relative advantages or disadvantages of more centralized management and a city council with a district representation? Do you feel ready for that kind of change? Why or why not? And we're going to go to Joanne first, Vadim next, and finally, Renee. Joanne? Thank you so much for that question. And I should say thank you City Club for jump-starting this conversation a few years back. Um, my job as an elected official was to make sure that this Charter Review Commission would be fully resourced, that we had the most diverse uh, community members participating on the Charter Review Commission and then get out of their way so they could talk to Portlanders throughout the city of Portland. I never wanted to uh, replace my opinion with the Charter Review Commission members who've agreed to spend two years of their life talking to Portlanders about how they want to be governed. Um, and so I am very excited about the proposals that they've moved forward both the uh, four uh, uh, districts uh, with uh, multiple representatives per district. I'm looking forward to the ongoing community dialogue and conversations. And whatever ends up on the ballot, I will be supporting 100% because what I know is these 20 community members have dedicated the last year to deep engagement all over the city of Portland and prioritizing voices that are rarely heard in these kind of processes. Um, I never thought it was appropriate for an elected leader to try to wait at the scale one way or another. But now that I've read the first two reports, the third report is out and I've just completed that, I'm 100% in support of the direction that Charlie Review Commission is headed. Thank you so much, Joanne. Next, Vadim. Thank you. Uh, likewise, I'm very supportive of the Charter Commission. I've worked on the Charter Commission and believe in the values that we share about representation and making sure our government functions well. Um, I think we need to have a city manager because of all the testimony we heard, not only from community members and hundreds of people that have asked us for that, but also from bureau directors and most of the elected officials about the difficulties in our charter form of government. And likewise, too many people have been saying that they don't have a response from City Hall when they need help, and they want district-based elections in order to know whom to call if they need assistance. And we need to make sure that when people pick up the phone or send an email, they get a response, which is not happening, um, unfortunately, too often. 
Um, and I say almost all elected officials because I urge everyone to go back to um, the April of last year when uh, we met with both Commissioner Mingus Maps and Commissioner Joanne Hardesty and asked them about their opinions. And Commissioner Maps, who ran on a platform of changing our form of government, says, I endorse it. It's too much work. Um, it needs to change. And I, I, we need to have a city manager. Um, however, uh, uh, Commissioner uh, um, um, Hardesty's response was very different, and uh, uh, she extolled the uh, virtues of having uh, an individual commissioner in charge of bureaus. Um, so please visit um, the April meeting of last year. But most people, as I said, have urged us to change the form of government. It's good for the future of Portland, and we need to make sure that we improve. Thank you. Thank you, Vadim. Renee? Thanks. Uh, so in the status quo, we have a real lack of intimacy, connection between voters and their reps. Uh, the at-large elections, it, it creates a huge chasm between those who sit in City Hall and the neighborhoods. So geographical representation is long overdue. It's, it, it's the right step forward for the city of Portland. Um, in terms of whether we have the right number in the current proposal, I'd like to see the legal and financial review that's going to come back. Uh, that's the next step in the process where they project out the cost of going from four to 12 uh, city commissioners and play, think through some of the legal ramifications. So I, I look forward to the, their review and report, but fundamentally, I believe that this is a step in the right direction. Um, with respect to rank uh, choice voting, uh, it can be more efficient. It can be avoid runoffs. You know, it, it's going hand in hand in the current proposal to eliminate the May uh, primary and go straight to November, which makes sense. It, it lessens the cost to run for office. Uh, we have a we'll know a uh, who's elected soon after uh, November. There are some questions about the mechanics of it and how quickly we can publish those results when you do rank uh, voting. It, that's been a challenge in some jurisdictions that have adopted it. But overall, uh, it's a step in the right direction. One last piece, again, professionalization of our management of the city, crucial, crucial. Thanks so much. Thank you, Renee. We are going to move forward into infrastructure and investment, and I'm going to go um, um, with Vadim, Renee, and then Joanne. Our question is, moving on infrastructure and investment in the context of our expected population growth of climate change and complaints about the inequity of our investment history of the infrastructure projects currently in the pipeline, the Burnside Bridge, expanded Southwest Corridor light rail, I-5 Rose Quarter, Interstate Bridge Replacement, Bike Town Program Expansion, is the best investment in Portland's future and why? Thank you. So we need to make sure that we do invest in having more people use public transportation like rail, build it out to more people, electrified buses, get it out to more people. That is the vision that we have and I have for Portland, a greener vision where we're not putting out fossil fuels while people come here because they want to live in a green city and people stay here because their values are being met. If uh, we do end up expanding the I-5 and, um, and it seems that the current uh, people in City Hall are intent on doing that, we need to make sure that we have adequate tolling in place um, that will uh, hopefully limit the amount of people that are actually driving and ask people to use public transportation in doing that. 
Um, the Bike Town program is great. We need to make sure that it's safe to bike around Portland. Um, I had a conversation at the PSU Farmers Market with somebody this past weekend who stopped me and asked me about my policies. And he said he biked around Portland uh, and was very concerned about how some of the streets had uh, separated areas for bikes. Some did not. There was not enough lighting. So let's make sure that if we're building toward that greener future, we're also building toward a safer future. If we're getting infrastructure money, if we're getting money from the federal government, which we will, um, let's make sure that we put it to good use and uses that will provide for a greener future for Portland. Thank you. Thank you, Vadim. Renee? Thanks so much for the question. So with respect to I-5 expansion, it's long overdue continuing to bottleneck traffic through the city is doing but nothing but driving locals onto neighboring streets and to 205 for those folks driving south from Washington. It's long overdue. It's necessary for uh, our city and it it's, will create a lot of working jobs in the city of Portland. So very much in favor of I-5 expansion. I think we need to move forward with earnest on it. With respect to some of the other initiatives described, uh, making the city better for bikers, um, some of the potential for light rail, electrical, I, I think the Clean Energy Fund can be modified as a funding source for some of those activities. As currently written, it's a little bit uh, constricted uh, on some of those, but I, I think those can all be ad adequately fund addressed with the Clean Energy Fund, or at least at least the uh, some of the biking initiatives and. Um, light rail initiatives. In terms of the other projects highlighted, uh, I'd still put I-5 at the top of, uh, that's the top of my list. We got to get that done. Thank you. Thank you, Renee. Joanne? This is probably about the most excited I am about what the future, what the potential for future economic prosperity looks like. Um, I have been at, uh, at the table uh, as transportation commissioner for all of these projects. I'm really excited about the Rose Quarter and the Albina Vision Trust vision about undoing a harm that freeways have done in the past, especially to black and brown communities. I'm also excited about the I bridge expansion, including a multimodal people moving vehicle uh, like light rail. Um, that will take people across the I-5. I am not interested in creating more capacity for automobiles because, again, our goal is to be greenhouse gas emissions and to not be uh, totally reliant on single-mile uh, vehicle travel. Um, having said that, 82nd Avenue gives us an opportunity to be radically different in how transportation processes impact communities and I am committed to making sure that we are working with the community that lives along 82nd Avenue today as well as the businesses that are thriving there today to ensure they will be able to stay there after we've completed the new transportation uh, project. I was proud to be part of bringing that over the finish line and if we are not creating minority-owned black, brown, indigenous people of color businesses through these processes, we would have failed miserably. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Hardesty. So I have one final question for this section and then we're gonna move straight into the lightning round and then right after that questions to each other. So the last question that I have and I'll go, I'll ask Renee to answer first 
next Joanne, and finally Vadim. What is going well at the city? What would you choose to brag about or use to persuade people who are talking about moving to stay? Again, Renee, we'll go to you first. So while our city is hurting right now, there are so many beautiful qualities. You know, our predecessors, our forebearers protected parks and our waterways, and they're still beautiful. They're under siege right now. They're hurting because of some of the, our inability to address the unsheltered. But that's an inheritance we all have, and, and we need to continue to protect it. Additionally, this can be a great city for cities and walkers. Uh, we need to double down on those, but that's always been part of our history. And last, this is a city of incredible innovators in the food and tech industries that's created a vibrancy, that's created uh, entrepreneurs and opportunities here, and that can be a great part of our future going forward. Thank you. Thank you, Renee. Joanne? I constantly brag about the people in the city of Portland. It is the people that make this city great. It's the people who stepped up at the beginning of COVID to look at it after our most vulnerable community members. Um, and that would be number one. Number two, I would say Portland Street Response. It is a nationally recognized innovation uh, that community members have been asking for for well over 30 years. And it took the first black woman on Portland City Council to see it through to finish line. So I, am, I would say we are on our way back, but we're on our way back not to what we were, but to be a much more equitable, fair and just city. And I look forward to working with Portlanders to, to uh, make that dream a reality. Thank you, Commissioner Hardesty. Finally, Vadim. So while I say that our city government is dysfunctional, the people of Portland, uh, Portlanders are not dysfunctional. They are an amazing group of individuals that are out there making a difference every single day. And it's something I extol to everybody I talk to, all the visitors that I see to Portland. Uh, I think that we have just an amazing population here of compassionate, kind people that are rolling up their sleeves and doing their part to make Portland great. I think it's uh, an amazing uh, uh, situation where so many uh, individuals are out there, for instance, picking up the trash with Solve. Um, uh, uh, hats off to Sally Mize, who I saw yesterday, who self-styles herself as the trash queen. Uh, she's out there every week picking up trash when the city does not and helping out homeless communities and making sure the trash is off the streets. Uh, you know, downtown neighborhood association, when the safe rest village was proposed over there, they reached out and said, we know our area, we know who is homeless, we know their needs, let us partner with you, let us talk with you and make this uh, a venture that will work here and work elsewhere based on our model. We have so many entrepreneurs, small businesses, exciting individuals, artistic talent, uh, that is making Portland a, a beacon for other places around the country. So we still have people moving to Portland and they're moving here because of the communities that we have here. Thank you so much, Fadim. Okay, thank you for that. We're going to move quickly into our lightning round. What I'll offer is that I'm going to do the same order for everyone. I'm gonna start with Joanne, I'll go to Vadim, I'll go to Renee, the same three questions, it's lightning round. So please, uh, one word answer or a very short sentence. Um, and so to Joanne, 
Can you name a favorite Portland icon? Um, Avel Gordley. Can you share your favorite walk or bike ride? My, uh, I'm old for bikes, so I will say my favorite walk is in the Gateway neighborhood. Thank you. And can you share a specific recommendation for a first-time visitor? <sighs> Gotta go to Mother's Bistro. Awesome. Thank you so much. Vadim, you are next. The same three questions. First, can you name a favorite Portland icon? Uh, yes, the elk. And I'm looking forward to coming back so that when people cross over the bridge and enter into downtown, they'll see that elk welcoming them. Thank you. Can you share your favorite walk or bike ride? Uh, so it's kind of both, but uh, it, around Washington Park, I, people don't realize that Forest Park is not the only place on the west side to actually go and see nature. Uh, lots of trails. Thank you. And can you share a specific recommendation for a first-time visitor? Yes. Go to Mississippi Avenue. There's so much to do there. Music, food, uh, creativity. Wonderful place. Thank you, Vadim. Renee, lightning round comes to you. Can you share or name a favorite Portland icon? Oh, you're muted, so we can't hear you. Pink Martini. There you go. And your favorite walk or bike ride? Springwater Corridor, where it goes down by uh, the amusement park. Awesome, thank you. And uh, a specific recommendation for a first time visitor? Gotta do a Timbers game. <laughs> there you go. Thank you all for giving just a break between those, those long form questions we had. We're next going to jump into questions to each other. So each candidate was invited to prepare a question for one of the other candidates. The question should be asked in 20 seconds or less and clearly stated as a question. Candidates are encouraged to keep questions succinct and focused on a substantive issue. Each candidate will be given 60 seconds to respond. We're first going to start with Vadim. What is your question and for whom? Thank you. My question is for Commissioner Hardesty. Is City Hall functioning better now than it was four years ago? In some ways it is. Uh, the usual suspects no longer can buy city council seats. So now we have a much more representative council than we've had in quite some time. I am very proud to serve with an African-American male, Latino woman, a gay white male. Uh, when I came on council as the first black woman, um, I just can't tell you how uh, uh, disconcerting it was for some people who thought I didn't belong. We're seeing that play out with the US Supreme Court nomination at this moment. I am well qualified as are all the other people of color who currently have the privilege to serve the city of Portland. Thank you so much. Next, Renee, what is your question and for whom? Well, uh, not to put her on the hot seat too much, but we'll go with Joanne again. Um, Joanne, I'd like to first thank you for the incredible courtesy you uh, gave me at Rose City. I find you incredibly nice in person. Um, with respect to your perception in the city, however, at a time of record crime, 
For better or worse, sometimes you are identified as the face of the defund police movement in Portland, or it's at least its most public advocate. What would you do going forward to address your per the perception of you sometimes with respect to police? What would you do going forward in terms of how you interact with the police? What a great question, Renee. Thank you so much for that question. And thank you for it. It was a pleasure to meet you as well. Um, let me say that perception and reality don't always line up. Um, when police do good work, I'm the first to publicly uh, celebrate the good work that they do. Uh, the misnomer around defending police, when we cut their budget by 15 million, we gave police over 40 officers that were available for patrol. Um, I understand the police union's job is to say the sky's falling, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. But if you look at the uh, the staffing levels over the since 2017, we've had a pretty uh, steady level. Portland Police carried 50 vacancies for five years before I got here, and we cut those vacant positions. And so we have cut no positions. We, we have 100 vacant positions, and I look forward to working with Chief LaBelle, Deputy Chief Frome, and actually building a police force that we all can trust and rely on. Uh, uh, and when they come to serve us, they will serve us all equally well. I look forward to that day. Thank you, Joanne. And um, what is your question and for whom, Commissioner Hardesty? Thank you so much. I think I'll ask Vadim a question. Vadim, Basic Rights Oregon protects the rights of our LGBTQ uh, community, um, and their level of support is a real basic level. Did you receive their green light? And if so, uh, why? And if not, why not? Thank you very much. Uh, so I, I did apply for Basic Rights Oregon and I firmly believe in their mission. I get their emails, I pay attention to exactly their causes and I will champion those causes in City Hall. As we know, these endorsements are uh, uh, doled out to only certain individuals. And um, unfortunately, um, I did not get their endorsement but I will work hard in City Hall to ensure that next time around they will endorse. Uh, luckily, uh, there's a lot of endorsements that I did receive, and I hope people will reach out to my website, www.votevadim.com, that lists all the endorsements from communities across Portland, from LGBTQ communities, Black communities, Latino communities, and I think very importantly, business communities, as well as unions. Bringing people together is what I'm doing here and what I will continue to do for Basic Rights Oregon when I'm in office. Thank you, Commissioner Harvesty. Thank you, Vadim. Thank you, Joanne. And thank you, Renee, for your questions. We're going to move quickly into audience questions. Uh, we're going to, I think we should have time for about two or three of these. And so first, um, we will go with a question from Leah. What are the key skills and experience you have as a problem solver? We're going to first go to Vadim, next Renee, and finally Joanne. Vadim? So thank you very much. Uh, as a problem solver, I have worked in uh, large offices and for the heads of a federal agency. So I, I worked as a private sector attorney, and then I have been working for the federal government for about 15 years now. One of those jobs was as the senior policy advisor and a senior lawyer to the head of an agency within the Department of Health and Human Services. 
and working on everyday problems throughout the agency, an agency that was tasked with hundreds of millions of dollars in benefit expenditures and had staffing levels of hundreds of individuals. So problem solving every day, whether it came to nationwide policy dissemination, labor and employment issues, uh, union issues, and making sure that the agency functions and meets the needs of taxpayers. You learn a lot doing that because every day there'd be something different. And I think those skills are very transferable to uh, being in City Hall and, and uh, working with other commissioners and making sure that our bureaus function and are responsive to the needs of Portlanders. Thank you, Vadim. Renee? Thanks for the question. So during the pandemic, I led three different organizations to successfully navigate it my own small business uh, with employees in three, um, three different states, a major family movement of 40,000 members nation or city, uh, statewide, and uh, the largest youth soccer club in the state as a financial steward. In all three cases, we were navigating a very difficult public health environment, trying to figure out how we could survive, frankly, uh, in, in, in the case of the nonprofit and my own business. Um, and how to keep our key people. And so um, had to make decisions every day, had to uh, rally the troops, had to articulate a common goal and get it done. And uh, getting it done was surviving one and uh, leaving the pandemic in a way where we could all thrive. Thank you. Thank you, Renee. Joanne? I bring the skills of the community organizer of 30 plus years. I bring the expertise of someone who served as a Oregon state legislator for three terms. I bring the expertise of someone who worked for Multnomah County under uh, Multnomah County Chair Bev Stein for over a decade. Uh, I know how budgets are put together. I know how to build budgets. I know how to make public policy. But more importantly, I know how to bring the community together so that the policy that I'm moving is the community's policy, not mine. I did that with Portland Street Response. I was able to do that by getting 82% of voters to support my ballot measure. So those who say that I don't work well with others, I have a whole list of congressional, local elected leaders, uh, community-based organizations and unions supporting me. Feel free to go to joanneforportland.com and, and see the accomplishments that I've made over the last three and a half years, not because I was hard to get along with, but because I look for the best in people and work with that to get results. And so I have shown in my time in office that not only can I get results, I can handle some of the toughest problems, uh, just like when the Office of Civic and Community Life was thrown at me. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you. Okay, we are going to go to the next audience question. And the next audience question, what ideas of plans do you have to change the way of the Bureau of Development Service, uh, the way, excuse me, that the Bureau of Development Services operates so they no longer disproportionately impact gentrified black and brown neighborhoods with complaint-based property maintenance liens and fines? We're gonna go first to Renee, next to, to Joanne, and finally, Vadim. Renee? 
Yeah, so I think you start with uh, language accessibility and cultural competence. When you're looking at these issues, particularly how government interacts with some of our most disadvantaged communities or racial minorities or folks that are speaking English as a second language, uh, one, they have to understand the rules, so you have to have language accessibility. Uh, and two, we have to appreciate the context from which they're coming. Um, in general, you know, the Bureau of Development Services can be a large bureaucracy with a lot, lot, without a lot of transparency. So I think there's some general principles of oversight we need to apply there, reporting out clearly who's being impacted most directly by complaints and that we continue to measure. Um, but I'd start with language accessibility and cultural competency. Thank you. Joanne? I would say that we need to evaluate all the complaint driven systems that we have at the city of Portland because they tend to over um, impact uh, low income and uh, people of color communities. Uh, I will say that uh, to a person, BDS, the permitting process is the vein of most people's existence, whether you're trying to renovate school, your home, or whether you're trying to build a multi-apartment uh, unit complex. Um, the good news is that Commissioner Dan Ryan and Commissioner Maps are working together with a task force. My directors from my bureaus are a part of that task force, helping us to try to streamline the permitting process so that we can uh, we make it certain uh, for folks who are trying to do uh, development in the city of Portland. I will say that every mayor over the last five mayors have reformed the permitting process and it continues to be the one of the biggest challenges uh, within the halls of City Hall. Thank you so much, Joanne. Vadim? This is an area where we need to bring stakeholders to the table. I myself am on uh, the board for my neighborhood association, and I know how difficult it is to get your voice heard at City Hall for issues like this. Instead of having individuals complain directly about too many fees, about inequitable service, we need to build a roundtable uh, for neighborhood associations where we can discuss these issues and have them fixed. So one of the ways to get this fixed is, of course, um, changing our commission form of government so that we have streamlined uh, interaction with the Bureau so that we, we don't have all these uh, committees that are trying to improve things in patchwork fashion. But more than that, one of the reasons that for the time being, at least, I, I want to lead civic life is to actually bring those voices from the neighborhood associations and hear these issues and get them fixed. We need to hear from everybody and we need to make sure that the answers are go all the way to the top of City Hall and that we work on the solutions. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vadim. We have just enough time to get to one additional audience question. And if you all keep it to your 60 second response, we'll then be able to move into closing comments, uh, your closing statements. And so our final question from Dana, what more can be done in addition to Portland Street Response to continue to provide life-affirming resources to those most marginalized. We'll first go with Joanne, next Vadim, and finally, Renee. Joanne? What a great question. In my time here at City Hall, you may know that I developed the Black Youth Leadership Program that just was launched uh, last month. 
Um, it is a million dollar annual grant uh, partnering with Oregon Community Foundation and the Black United Fund of Oregon to create opportunity and resiliency for black youth in this community. Um, I'm also responsible for the Rethink Cortland um, allocation of dollars that will start rolling out to community-based organizations. We made a historic investment in organizations, frontline organizations last year that are actually working to address the issue of, of violence in our community. Um, I will continue to support those efforts that resource community-based solutions uh, to solving some of our complex problems. Um, I am excited about where we have invested those dollars and I continue to look for more opportunities to create community solutions. What I know is most of the solutions to our complex problems lie in the community and working with the community, we've been able to get so much done. And I will once again take the opportunity to say, please go to joanneforportland.com uh, to see more results, not just ideas, but results that I've been able to achieve over the last three years and three months. Thank you. Thank you. Vadim, you're next. Thank you. So the question was about Portland Street response, which uh, deals with people experiencing uh, 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 mental health crises and they have recently started rolling out uh, across the city. So I look forward to those results from proponent of Portland Street response and will continue to be. Uh, and I think more than that, we need to reestablish the Portland Commission on Disability uh, that used to be here in Portland where you would have uh, experts in the field get together and provide assistance to the city on the needs of people with disabilities. And that is certainly rampant in our homeless community, whether physical, mental, or drug addiction um, disabilities that are facing them, those voices are not being heard. 12% of Portlanders uh, identify with a disability, but yet the auditor came out with two scathing reports about how our city was not meeting the needs of the disability community. Um, and so we need to bring back the Portland Commission on Disability, staff it with experts so that city council and the city uh, bureau heads can get good input on what it'll take to help individuals that are marginalized. Thank you. Thank you, Vadim. And finally, Renee. Yeah, so there's a couple layers here. First, as a city and in your interaction with adjacent uh, governmental entities, county and state, when we're talking about services provided to our most disadvantaged, it's crucial that the city is a strong advocate for uh, good mental illness treatment and addiction services. Those are largely funded and in some cases provided by non-city agency. So the city of Portland and city government needs to be a strong advocate uh, in both of those areas, a strong team player. In terms of what we can do at the city level, we, you know, we need to assure that our parks are accessible and continue to be open. Over the last two years, that was a major problem. This is where a lot of our grassroots community organizations engage in a cost-effective way. It's one of the healthiest ways to um, prevent uh, mental illness and addiction. One last piece, measure $110. We need to get those dollars flowing to addiction services statewide. And we need the city to be an advocate for that to occur as soon as possible. Thank you. Thank you so much, Renee. And thank you to Joanne Hardesty, Vadim Mozerski, and uh, for those, those questions. We are now moving into our closing statements. Vadim, you gave the first opening statement and will now be given the first closing statement. You'll have 90 seconds and it'll go Vadim, Renee, and finally we'll close with uh, Commissioner Hardesty. Vadim? 
Thank you very much. And once again, I appreciate the 235 people that have stuck through this and listened to us all. I hope you've learned our different platforms. Um, in closing, I want to say one policies matter. I think this is a failing on the part of our city. Uh, government, uh, Governor Cuomo once famously said, uh, politicians uh, campaign in poetry, but they govern in prose. Uh, our city council uh, campaigns in poetry and governs in haiku. It's hard to ascertain exactly how the policies are laid out, what the metrics are, what the goals, and this is a, a failure. With respect to our homeless policies, we have different policies in the city, different policies for the county, different policies for Metro, um, and now working together really well. The providers like Here Together are working on initiatives in order to solve that, but we need the city to join hands and, and work with them in order to achieve that. Uh, policing policies, likewise, we defunded the police, then we were starting to refund the police. We got rid of the gun violence reduction team, and then we put together basically the same version with oversight of community members. In the meantime, homicides escalated. Uh, we could have done better. Let's fix things rather than break things and then fix them later. Um, and, uh, and so in that vein, I, I've worked on policies for the federal government. Um, I've worked on policies on various committees and commissions. Next, experience matters. Um, you don't want to learn this job as you go along. So I think my experience managing large offices for the federal government, uh, as well as working with unions matter. And lastly, your vote matters. Please go out and vote. Thank you very much. Go to votevadim.com and see my positions. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Vadim. Next, Renee. Thank you. I come before you at what may be an inflection point in the history of Portland. Our once beautiful city is hurting. At times it feels under siege, not by an instant threat, but the slow decay generated by weak leadership, capitulation to extremism, and commitment to special interests instead of the city and its residents. To merge, it will take vision, common sense, resolve, but it will also take knowing what we are fighting for. I am deeply tied to the history of this city, deeply vested in its future. My grandmother was born here, her mother before her, living their golden years in the city of roses, a city that they were proud of. But it is not deep ties alone that bind me to the city. As young adults, my wife and I embraced it, its beauty, pragmatism, its livability. Like tens of thousands of Portlanders, we chose to build a family, career, business, to build our life here because we believed in the city. We believed in its promise. This is the only city my children have called home. It is the only city my wife and I intend to ever call home. Our city needs commissioners, skilled in financial stewardship that understand good governance, commissioners that can leave with, lead with backbone and resolve. But our city also needs commissioners who know what we are fighting for. And in this race, at this time, I am that candidate. Join me in restoring Portland's promise. Thank you. Thank you, Renee. And finally, we'll close with a closing statement from Joanne Hardesty. First, again, thank you so much, City Club, Jabri Vickers. Your facilitation was flawless. Um, and thank you, 200 people who are out in the audience listening to this uh, debate. Um, I am proud to be a Portlander. Um, in March of 2020, a lot changed for a lot of people. Um, I can tell you investors made out like champs uh, during COVID. Uh, professionals did okay. We get all these met at home.
but workers were devastated during COVID and many of those workers are long, long way from recovery. As a city, we have to make sure this city continues to be a city where all income levels can thrive. With the $4 billion of investor income from the last administration, we see a lot of new fancy buildings that none of us who live here today can afford to rent or lease. I am working for working people. I have the support of our federal delegation, lots of legislators, lots of local grassroots community leaders. I encourage you to go to my website at joannefortland.com. I was the first to qualify. I was the first to max out the public finance system because I am you. I work for a living and I want this city to be the city that it has promised to be, a city that will be fair, just and equitable for us all. Thank you. And please vote on May 17th. Your vote matters. Have a good afternoon. Thank you so much, Commissioner Hardesty. That concludes our candidate debate. And I want to thank you, Commissioner Hardesty, candidates Renee Gonzalez and Vadim Mozerski for being with us and for answering our questions. A healthy democracy cannot be sustained without people like you willing to put yourself in the public eye in our current political environment. We honor your commitment in taking on this important task. Thank you again to City Club sponsors, Chevron, The Standard, Northwest Natural, Tonkin and Torque, the Oregon Businesses, excuse me, the Oregon Business Industry Association and the Oregon Association of Hospitals and Health Systems. And of course, thank you to the City Club for bringing me back and giving me the opportunity to moderate this debate. And to all those who are viewing, all 200 and almost 90 of you today, thank you. City Club has three more spring debates coming up for the races for Multnomah County Chair and both the Democratic and Republican gubernatorial primaries. Check out pdxcityclub.org to register for those events. You can find recordings of all of our debates there and on our YouTube channel. Our people are powerful. Your vote is power. Please vote. Ballots arrive at the end of this month for the May 17th primary election. Our democracy depends on your participation. This concludes our program. Thank you so much for joining us and have a great day.